Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and grateful to have you joining me today for another amazing episode. Well, are you looking to make a change in your job or career? How do you go about discerning that? How can you hear God's call? How do you know if you're supposed to stay or you're supposed to go? Well, joining me on the show today to answer those questions and many more is Dr. Kevin Calkins, principal of Cathedral Catholic High School in San Diego, California. In today's show, we share our own career arcs with all the twists and turns along the way, how we go about discerning new opportunities, what to weigh when considering making a change, who should you invite into that conversation. We share how we've learned from our mistakes, but also encourage you to be realistic in recognizing that the grass is not always greener on the other side. Lastly, we also talk about ways to stay engaged in your current job. It's an amazing episode filled with great practical advice if you are considering making a career move. When the show is done, hit me up on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. I look forward to hearing your feedback from this episode on those platforms and look forward to engaging in meaningful dialogue with you, the listener. Enjoy the show, everybody. Dr. Kevin Calkins, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. Thanks, Mario, for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Such a, such a gift to have you. It's been awesome to, to, to be able to talk about this conversation uh, that we're going to have here. So I have a number of young adult listeners, and I know that it's well known that, that they're just a transient group. Um, I have a, a few that I'm seeing in counseling, but just even other individuals that I'm mentoring, and then just in conversation in general, it just seems that millennials as a, as a cohort are much more transient than generations that have come before. Um, and I think I've suspected this and I think others kind of feel that. Um, so in preparation for our, our interview today, I, I looked up a, a recent Gallup study that really confirms those suspicions and says pretty clearly that millennials are more likely uh, to switch, uh, more likely than previous generations to switch jobs. Currently, 21% of millennials state that they have changed the job in the last year. Only 50% of millennials strongly agree that they plan to stay in their current job a year from now. And then 60% of millennials are open to a different job if the right opportunity presents itself. So all of these stats are higher than previous generations. Um, and I don't know, we, we, the Gen Zs are till, still too young to have some, some data on in terms of they're not really in the workforce yet. But I don't know, maybe it's just me. I imagine this trend will continue. This will be the new norm and normal in terms of a, a more fluid economy where people are shifting and, and transitioning. So because it's more open that people are able to do that, I think what I would like for us to talk about is is men who have made career moves in our lives and, and have made some big decisions, as just to be able to offer some, some guidance or some advice to, to this cohort, to this group that is, is so open uh, to movement and to changing. So just, you know, as we start here, uh, if you mind, just introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, what, what do you do? What, what brought you to where you're at? And uh, just share a little bit about your journey, you know, uh, career-wise. Sure. Thanks, Mario. Yeah, absolutely. So Kevin. my name's... Uh, yeah, uh, Kevin Calkins. I uh, I am a principal of a fairly large Catholic high school in uh, San Diego, California. About sixteen hundred students. We're uh, we're a co-ed uh, high school, and uh, we're about three miles from the beach. So uh, so there's uh, there's that. Which yeah, I'm sure is, that's hard. That's hard to go to work every day. But that is, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I heard. That's, that's what I heard you say. Yeah, it was really yeah, challenging. You know, some, some mornings before I come to work, I'll go to the beach first. 
and oh, I'll man. <laughs> uh, walk along the beach or some mornings I'll even jump in the ocean and put my wetsuit on and uh, go for a swim or do some bodyboarding. And then, uh, and I'll come into the office and it's, you know, the ocean's a great way to kind of center yourself. So, uh, I know everyone suffers the same way we do here in San Diego. Yes, so. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. That's, that's a hard knock life right there, Kevin. That's, that's <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, it's almost but, like swimming yeah. in the Mississippi here in New Orleans, you know, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> the water's, the water's just as clean. I'm sure. <laughs> exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so but, how'd you end up out there? Yeah. You know, um, my wife is from California and, uh, we met, we met actually in New Orleans, um, at a wedding. Uh, it was actually in Baton Rouge at our friend's wedding. Uh, she was living in California. I was living uh, in Connecticut at the time. I'm from New York and my entire family's in the Northeast. And, uh, and so we dated a uh, long distance for a year and, uh, really got to know each other and, uh, in the healthiest way possible, which was, uh, without each other present, like physically present to each other. Uh, it was the first time in my life I'd really done that. So that was really great that I, um, had to invest in a person before being right next to them. And, uh, I drew the short straw and moved to California to, uh, pursue the relationship. A year later, after I moved to California, we got married and, um, after living in LA for a year, we decided we wanted to get out of California and go check out other parts of the country. So we lived in Austin, Texas for, uh, four years. And then I lived in New Orleans for, for three years. And, uh, both of those experiences were great and, uh, you know, opening in, in many respects, but really rich. And, uh, we look back with really fond memories. Uh, we also started a family. Uh, when, you know, we were away and, uh, once our son started school, uh, we had the decision to make, okay, um, are we going to stay in New Orleans or are we going to go back to California or to the Northeast where, where I was from to kind of put roots down and raise our, our family closer to family. Um, and, and so there was this opportunity in San Diego uh, to be back in California. And so, uh, five, over five years ago now, mm -hmm. we moved back to California, been in San Diego since, and, uh, have been blessed. You know, it's been a really great experience since then. We've added another boy to our family. And so we have, uh, two boys now and, uh, life is good. That's awesome, man. What a yeah. great, great adventure. Great story. Yeah. And congratulations to you guys. So I guess thinking about this, like, you know, the, the focus for today is really going to be like the concept of, of career moves and discerning different moves. Um, and my journey I'll, I'll share is that, I mean, I've, I've, I've been all over. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm an, going back my whole life. I've, I've just moved around so much, but even in just starting in my adult life, uh, Chris and I, we got married, um, right out of college. And then we did two years of missionary work in Alabama. Um, and I went to Florida state university in Tallahassee. Then we moved to, to Greensboro, North Carolina to pursue our graduates, pursue my graduate studies in marriage and family counseling. And we thought that was it. We thought that that was going to be the final move and we were going to stay there. Um, but an opportunity presented itself to move back to Tallahassee. And so we pursued it to, to move back to Tallahassee, to be closer to home, to work for a ministry. I worked for the diocese as well in a parish uh, throughout my time there. And then things didn't work out um, as it happens sometimes in life. 
And then uh, we moved to New Orleans. Opportunity presented itself here to, to serve in the diocese. And we've been here now almost eight years, which is just nuts to, to, to think about. Um, and here I've had, again, a few different jobs as well. I've worked for the diocese. I worked for Notre Dame Seminary. And then now I work for, back in a nonprofit, work for, for Will Woods and doing podcasting as well as, you know, doing my own counseling stuff. So, so similar, I mean, just been, been around different places trying to discern what, weighing the options between what's, what's best for, for family versus what's best for yourself career-wise. And, and sometimes those, those, those kind of compete with one another. Um, when, when you were making the decision to, to move back to San Diego, what, what, what was drawing that? I mean, you said family, but were there other kind of motivations for you to, to, to move back and to take the job that, that you ended up taking? Yeah, there, there were definitely motivations. Um, you know, specifically, uh, you know, when I was in New Orleans, I worked in the central office. And so I worked in the, you know, at the diocese, more of a kind of a corporate uh, experience. Uh, and that was the first time I had I, I had that experience in, in Catholic education and, uh, I, I really missed the community of, of school. Uh, it, it didn't exist at the pastoral center and that's not a, a negative statement about the pastoral center. It's just, I think the reality of business and the reality of life there. And, uh, I developed some great relationships while I was in New Orleans and working in the, um, pastoral center, you know, with you, Mario, got to know you a little bit and developed a relationship. But, um, but I really missed the school community and, uh, I wanted to get back into it. I, my, my heart, I felt that very much. And so I knew that the central office gig, while, um, it helped give a perspective on education that I hadn't had before and was good to have, I knew it wasn't for me, uh, long term. You know, when I decided to get into Catholic education, it was very much a vocation for me. It was a calling and the calling was in relationship, uh, in particular with young people. And um, and I just thrived in that in that environment. And when I found myself in a corporate environment, I just felt um, I felt kind of empty inside. I felt like it was a job, not a vocation. Uh, and so I knew I, w- I was trying to find it and I was trying to be creative and I just realized, you know what, like, this is not where I'm called to be. And so I knew that I had to get back into a, a high school environment. That's amazing. Yeah. I remember w- when you were making the move to go back to San Diego, I was impressed by, but just that, that decision to, to know yourself and to know kind of where you fit, uh, in it and to say like, okay, because it seems like on the career rung, and this sometimes I think is kind of the message that that's kind of tossed out there is that, you know, you just have to keep climbing the corporate ladder, keep, keep making your way up and go as high as you possibly can. And, and that's ultimately where happiness and, and fulfillment is going to, to come from. And I just don't think that that narrative is necessarily um, true, truthful to be sincere, because I don't think that everybody is happiest at, at the very top. Um, and you have to kind of know yourself and to know where, where you fit and where, where you don't. Um, because it seems like, I mean, you're in a great situation, obviously, right now, three miles from the beach. It's, I mean, can you complain? It's awesome doing what you love to do, working with the kids and, and being in a leadership position again and, uh, and being there directly, though, as you said, as a vocation, like relationships and reengaging in that. But it took those three years in New Orleans to kind of understand that you had to kind of discern and say, well, is this job the right one? You know, it seems like this is the next step in my career, be assistant superintendent. 
you know, if this goes well, then eventually become a su- superintendent of some diocese. That's the kind of trajectory. And you said, man, this isn't it, you know, like not that casually, of course, but you know, you eventually you came to that conclusion, like this isn't where I'm supposed to be. And let me go back right. into, into the school environment. Um, how was that process for you and Beth and the conversations that you guys were having during that time? And, and how did you ultimately come to know that about yourself to then make this decision to go back to being a principal? Yeah, good, good questions. And I think it's a slow process. It's a, um, it's a pro it's a, yeah, it's a process, a lot of prayer, a lot of, um, reflection, a lot of kind of paying attention to just how I was feeling and, um, and just not, not being motivated to go to work. You know, like I, I, I would go to work some days and I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, what, what am I doing? You know, I, I, I did good work. I, I think I tried to help people and I think people were grateful for what I did, but, but deep down inside, I just didn't feel the joy that I had felt previously. And, and certainly there was frustration there, you know, because you get on a path and you just, you want to see it through and you, you know, you, you have these goals and maybe the, and, and I certainly have ambitions and I, you know, um, I certainly thought, okay, but this is what you do. You, you, you kind of move in this direction and you just, you keep going. And that's what the, the, the status bar is, uh, in your professional life. But for me, it just didn't work. It, it just didn't work. And I knew that, um, you know, this has always been about, um, like satisfaction, like personal satisfaction and joy. It was never about like status, uh, as such or money or any of that type of thing. I've, I've said to people a hundred times, look, if I was really into the money deal, I, I, I would have never gotten into education. I mean, I would have done something else. Uh, so there was a real need for me to, to want to feel satisfied, to feel joy. And I just didn't feel it, uh, in the central office. And so after you know, we had made a move to New Orleans, right? You pick up your family, you move to a new place. You feel like you got to give it some time. You feel like, okay, well, I don't want to, okay. You know, it's, life's always not about being happy. So you have to kind of push through that and say, okay, well, let me just give this time. Because I, I do think sometimes um, people make decisions too quickly and you don't give it enough time. But I, after three years, I was pretty confident that, it just wasn't a fit. And so I knew I needed to make a change and, um, I never saw it as a downgrade to go back to being a principal. I just saw it as a return to, uh, like a feeling of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And, and I, I was good with that. I was, I was, uh, I was good with that. And, um, my wife and I talked about it a lot. And she also saw in me a lack of just excitement to, to kind of go to work. And again, I, I'm not a complainer. I'm not somebody who, um, you know, just woe is me type of thing. Uh, you discern something, you pray about it, you talk about it, and then you make a decision and you, and you go forward in it. Um, you know, the older I get, I, I think the decisions I make are better <laughs> than ones I've made when I was younger. And I try to be a little more thorough and, uh, now, but, um, I've made some bad decisions in the past, but, um, but I, I try to learn from them as well and try not to repeat 
um, bad decisions. And so, uh, in terms of my professional life, one of the things I've realized is, you know, um, like don't, don't make hasty decisions, you know, like to really be thorough. I, I talk through, um, decisions now with multiple people. I certainly have my confidants and the people I really trust and who I know, know me and who I, who I know will challenge me too. And will say, Hey, Kevin, you know, like that's BS. Like, I don't think you're being honest about the situation. And, um, my wife has even, you know, challenged me a few times, uh, in this current role, you know, with some frustrations that I've had. And, uh, one of the things she said to me more recently is, you know, you ought to go to spiritual direction and bring this to a spiritual director. Mm. And at first I was frustrated with that recommendation. I'm just like, that's, you know, like, what is that going to do for my job? You know, like, uh, you go to spiritual director. What are you talking about woman? (laughs) just like, that's not going to help me. Like practically speaking, you know, I don't need to go talk to another person, but the, but the more I thought about it, she's, she's spot on. Yeah. Uh, You know, so said like a true man, you know, what I need to talk to somebody about, (laughs) (laughs) I'll figure it out on my own. Right. Um, no, you know, and it, 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 so much of this is, as you said, about finding the right fit. And I know for me in my career, like, I don't know when, when, when I, when I switched majors, as an undergraduate from biology to psychology, I knew that I wanted to help people through their emotional difficulties. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to help people emotionally and relationally. And so I studied child development, which is in the family, the family studies program. Um, and then when I got my master's, it was in marriage and family studies. I knew I wanted to be a marriage therapist. I wanted to help people in, in that regard, help them through those emotional issues. But I wanted to do it in a way that integrated the faith. I'd always felt like as a, if I practice from a strict secular perspective of counseling, I would be kind of operating with just one arm and wouldn't be able to operate at it with, with the fullness of who I am as a person, or that I would be holding back part of my own personality, which I now know obviously is, is a key part to, to the therapeutic relationship. But as I've navigated various movements, and like I said, I mean, I've, I've, I think I've done it all at this point. I mean, I've worked for parishes, dioceses, nonprofits, private practice, um, uh, I've taught at universities. I've worked at the seminary. I've lectured, you know, different states to travel. I'm doing a podcast now. I've written, you know, it's just, for me, it's, it's been like that central, like, so like when I was, when I was, when I was 20 and I made the shift to, to psychology, like the central question of what I wanted to do with my life kind of became clear that this is what I wanted to do in terms of this integrated approach of, of counseling or early study of counseling, both the study and the practice of it. But, but the, the, the way that has manifested has has shifted and changed as the years have kind of gone on. And and I've always been one who's been very open to whatever opportunities present themselves and I'm willing to discern and and like you I've I've made some decisions in haste. Um I haven't discerned things well. I haven't had the right conversations with Kristen only to 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 get myself kind of in a bad situation. Or honestly sometimes I've really discerned things well only for those things to blow up in my face. You know, that's happened too. That's not fun. You know, that, that's always the, okay, God, where, where, where were you, you know, with all of that? Um, right. So, so I guess what I would love for, for people to know is, is that it's okay to have some flexibility, you know, within your life mm-hmm. and, and, and being able to say, okay, well, I kind of know generally what it is that I want to do, but nobody is, there's no expectation of like great clarity or, or like finished product or, 
you know, this is the one thing I'm going to do and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I don't know. I, I think, I think desire manifests itself a certain way um, that we have to be open to, but then allow providence to unfold in such a way that God will bring uh, a fulfillment of that desire um, in, in, in his own timing. Um, mm-hmm. Because I find that, that so much of, of moves is really a question of, of timing. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I, I agree, you know, having that openness and the um, vulnerability to be where you are uh, and and to be okay with that. You know, when I, I studied um, philosophy and history at Boston College as an undergrad, and I remember I used to get the question all the time, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, like, I don't know, like, I never got caught up in that conversation. Mm. Like, I, I just, and you know, I credit my dad a little bit for this. Um, he was a big supporter of, look, you got to do what <laughs> gets you out of bed in the morning. Um, you know, and if getting at, if, if studying philosophy and history is what gets you out of bed, then do it. And it, it, it'll work itself out, you know? And, uh, so I got to my junior year of college and I still had no idea what I was going to do, you know? But I was enjoying my study of philosophy and history, and uh, I didn't have the answers to the questions that, you know, everyone wanted, which is, this is what I'm doing. And you have this this path laid out, which, ironically, I talk to those people now, and they're in a completely different place. You know, the, the path never worked out, uh, so to speak. Right. So, um, so, so I was open to to wherever it was going to take me. And yeah, I was thinking, well, I guess I got to know what I'm going to do. So I was thinking law school. I was thinking, um, maybe I'll be a teacher. I was thinking, I mean, who knows what I was thinking really? I was just, I was discerning a call to religious life. So there were a lot of things that was on my mind and on my heart, but none of it was urgent to me. Like it was just, I was okay with just like studying philosophy and, and history. And then God put, a fourth grade boy by the name of Jude Baptiste in my life. Um, he was a student at uh, a school in Roxbury, Massachusetts called Nativity Prep. And how did you and, interact with him? How'd you meet him? Yeah. So I was, uh, so I, I worked at a, when I was at BC, I worked in the uh, tutoring center and helping students. And uh, one day I went into work and there was a flyer on the bulletin board that's that was uh, that it was a flyer from Nativity Prep looking for tutors for disadvantaged students who, who come from you know difficult backgrounds. So I saw the flyer and I thought to myself, huh, that that looks pretty neat. Let me go check that out. So I scheduled a visit to go visit the school and it was really great. So long story short is um, what they do is uh, they pair you up with a student and they um, and then you kind of develop this relationship with a student over the course of a year. And you basically just provide, um, you know, su- uh, simple tutoring to to these students. And I'll never forget, Mario. Uh, it was one day the first day I met Jude where we had our tutoring session. We started uh, working on uh, it was maybe English language arts. And very quickly, I realized that he couldn't read. And so we were struggling through uh, a reading assignment and I just had the intuition in me to say, you know what, Jude, let's put this away. 
Like, let's go to something else. And because clearly it was a struggle and he was losing confidence. And this was an awkward, like first time meeting someone. So I'd, let's go to something else. So I, he pulled out his planner. He had a math sheet to do. So I said, let's go to math. Let's do something completely different. And it was timetables or, you know, something like that. And so we're working through uh, the different, you know, four times this, whatever. And we get to some of the upper, you know, eight, you know, eight times tables. And uh, we get to eight times three, 24. And then, um, you know, he's got some confidence going. So we get to like eight times seven. And I can see him struggle a little bit. Mm. And uh, he looks at me, kind of catches me out of the corner of his eye. And I look at him and I'm just like, he's like eight times seven. I'm like, I don't know what it is, dude. I'm like, I'm like what do you got? You know? And so he figured it out. And uh, so eight times, then we rolled through the nine, we rolled through the 10. And he was joking with me a little bit, you know, you got to learn your times tables, Mr. Calkins, you know, like you really, you know, but what happened there was we developed a connection and he all of a sudden trusted me to help him and to support him. And so I remember the T ride back to BC that night. I remember thinking to myself, okay, there it is. I found what I got to do. Um, I got to reconnect. I got to recreate those experiences where I connect with a student in a very meaningful way. And he and I went on to develop this great relationship and uh, from that point forward, I said, okay, great. I know what I want to do. I, I want to go be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so um, the fo- so I worked at Nativity Prep, took some education classes, and then my first year out of school, I went and worked at an all-boys Catholic high school in uh, Connecticut as a religion teacher. And, you know, the rest is history from there. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I just – I didn't plan that. It wasn't, I mean, there, there was no blue book on, on here's what you do to find your, your vocation. I, I think, you know, I spent a lot of time in prayer. Um, I was open to a lot. I didn't get too caught up in, I gotta have this figured out. And, um, and even when I got an education, right, there was a lot of pressure, like you're never going to make any money. You know, you're going to, you know, I mean, it, it was just like one criticism after another. And I don't know. I, I just said, well, and my dad, again, you know, uh, would say to me, Kevin, if you're happy getting out of bed in the morning and going to work, like everything else is going to work out. Like you're going to find your path and you're going to find a way to to make a life and to make a living. And um, and he's right. And he, he was right. You know, here I am now, 20 years later. Um, I've had a lot of experiences. I'm an administrator. I'm leading an effort. And I'm super passionate about Catholic schools and, uh, and I feel like I'm making a difference now. And, uh, and so it's been good. It's, it's been a journey, but, um, yeah, that's, it's amazing. What a beautiful yeah. story. Thank you for sharing that about Jude, Jude Baptiste. Was that his name? Yeah. Man, yeah. God bless him. Do you keep up with him now? You know where he is? You know, the sad thing is, is he didn't make it at nativity oh. prep. The kid, the, the, the boy's, um, home life was, was really difficult. And, uh, so he made it. So nativity prep is a model of schools where I don't know if you're familiar with it. They serve kids, uh, you know, four grade four through eight, and they really target students that come from disadvantaged backgrounds. And the idea is that if you can catch them early, um, right, the, you have a better prospect at them being successful, uh, later on. And, uh, and so a lot of these students just came with a, just a ton of baggage 
and uh, I, Jude made it to like seventh grade and then just couldn't um, couldn't maintain the expectations and the, and the behavior expectations. And uh, so, no, I, I lost touch with him, actually. And but I've never forgotten. And I uh, I'm really grateful for what he did for me, which is really interesting. You know, like you go thinking you're going to serve and help somebody else and in, in turn you're the one who gets benefited. Uh, you know, that's, that's God right there. So, Amen. Amen. yeah, yeah. Well, we'll say a prayer for little Jude, wherever, wherever he is in life right now. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mar, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Kevin Calkins to encourage you to check out our latest resource from faith and marriage. If you are married and looking for an easy way to apply John Paul II's Theology of the Body into your relationship, then check out United in Christ, United in Love, Home Edition. Considering that all these social distancing protocols have made it very difficult for parishes to be offered marital enrichment activities, United in Home is designed to be able to offer precisely that directly to you spouses. Jason Angelette years ago created a program called United in Love, United in Christ that is a six-part DVD series that was intended to be offered in parishes. But again, as we've said, considering the social distancing protocols, which just ain't happening, we're not able to get together at parishes. So Jason and the team here at Faith and Marriage has created this United in Christ Home Edition. What this is, it's an online marital enrichment course for you and your spouse that you can walk through together at your own pace in the privacy of your own home. There are engaging video testimonies and reflection questions following each session. United at Home will help you learn how to pray together and how to bring God's grace into your union. For more information on how to purchase United at Home and how to access this amazing course, please visit us at faithinmarriage.org. You spoke beautifully about just it, the gift of your dad. First and foremost, I want to I want to give a shout out to to your father right now. I mean, because that's really beautiful. Just the couple times you've mentioned, anytime you had some some lack of clarity, some some confusion, your dad just was there as a stable force, just to say, "Listen, it's going to be all right. You're going to figure yep. it out. You're going to get through it. Whatever. Just be honest to yourself and be yep. be uh, sincere with with what it is that you that you're seeking, um, and to find." where you think you can serve the best, you know, what gets you out of bed in the morning, simple questions. What, what brings you joy? What brings you some degree of satisfaction in your life? And if you stay true to that, then, then the rest will unfold. Now that requires a certain degree of prioritizing for sure, in terms of what your values are, um, what you need. Cause there are some, certainly some people who have, like, I know people who are in ministry or have been in ministry, but then they follow the church's teachings. They have a big family. And the reality is then that their teaching job or their ministry job doesn't pay the bills. And so they have to go find a position where they're working as a financial advisor or something else or some other industry that at least gives them the opportunity to make more money. And that's a real sacrifice because right. maybe personally they make, they feel more fulfillment in the, in the ministry side of things, but, but, but the financial demands of, of providing for your family or engineering or whatever, something else, you know, it tends to be the thing that they have, that they have to do. And so I get it. You know, we all have kind of sacrifices to make um, in life because certainly uh, no no job is 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 perfect. Um, even yours, when you're th- right. three miles from the beach and in sunny San Diego, you know, probably has its moments where it's it's not it's not the best. You know, but the good outweighs right. outweighs the bad. Um, so one, I guess, as I'm thinking about kind of operationalizing this or making this practical for people, is a if you find yourself in a place where 
this is to the listener. If you find yourself in a place where you are thinking about making a move, first things first is to be able to, to set a priority, you know, like reassess what are the things that are most meaningful, most valuable for you, A. Second thing is then to, to really kind of assess what are the things that are getting you out of bed? What are the things that, that do bring joy into your life? Um, third then is to continue to pray and to offer this to the Lord because then what you're doing is that you're being sincere with what those desires are and to say, okay, God, like I believe that you've created me a certain way. I believe that you've created these desires to be in my heart. Um, therefore, I'm going to return these back to you with hope and expectation that you are going to bring about some opportunity for these things to find their fulfillment. Because I don't believe that you have given me these desires just to stir them up for the sake of it, because then that would be like some type of cruel trick as if it's like some some itch underneath your cast. You ever, you know, you ever broken an arm or anything like that? You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. I think that's what we think this. It's like, all right, well, I have this itch and I can't scratch it, you know? Like, I don't think the Lord works that way. I don't think that he He stirs up these things inside of us um, just to kind of leave us unfulfilled. So then, so then the third piece is that. But then the, the last piece is, is then, okay, so after we've, we've said the prayer, we've given it to God, now we say, okay, well, what's the opportunity? What's the, what's the, what's the move? What's the move? Where, where do we go forward? And I think one of the things that you've shared about, and even in my own life, I, I, I concur with that. I, I've never been um, uh, afraid to make a move or, or I guess the difference is I, I, I've always heard it's, it's easier to, to, how's the expression? It's, it's easier to move a stone when it's already rolling than it is to, when it's not. Like, right. like sometimes just taking the steps forward is, is part of it. And I find so often with, with young people that they're like paralyzed the analysis by paralysis by analysis kind of tends to right. override. It's like, no, no, just don't worry. Like just take a step forward, keep walking and, and the, the right opportunity will present itself. But as long as you are moving forward, um, you're, 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 you're in a better spot. Um, yep. So then holding on to that as well, which is to say then, all right, like I'm willing to, to continue to take steps and, and, and move forward. Um, and, and trusting that, that God in the end will, will provide, um, what do you think? What else do you want to add to that, to that list? I, I agree, uh, with everything you said, you know, something you said <clears throat> along the way, um, that popped in my mind is, you know, it's one thing to find a vocation and to be, and to find joy. Um, but there's also a personal responsibility. Like you have to work. <laughs> yes. Like, like you can't just sit back, you know, sometimes just people in ministry, I, I, you know, I think they, they wait for the blessings to come to them. And, uh, I get that. Um, but you know, as much as I've been blessed, uh, I've also worked really hard and I've, I've pushed myself, I've challenged myself, I've gotten, uh, you know, an education and, and that comes with sacrifice uh, a lot of times too. And so, um, so that, you know, I just want to add to this whole equation around, um, kind of finding your place and where you're supposed to be. Part of that deal is you got to work and, uh, you got to push yourself and you got to challenge yourself. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable and hard and, um, okay, it's hard. Um, now go, go do it. And, uh, that's, um, that's not to be taken, as a throwaway, you know, like, because at the, at the end of the day, there's people who perform and people who don't <laughs> and, uh, and like, you got to show up and, and you got to perform. And 
And no matter what your field is, just because you get into a field that there's a potential to make a lot of money doesn't mean you're going to. It just means, okay, there is a potential for that. Um, and, uh, and, and so, um, you know, the, the only other thing I would add to what you were saying there, Mario, is there does come a point, at least in my life, there's come a point where your priorities change and the professional ladder is secondary now to like being a really good dad and to being a really good husband and to enjoying the beach <laughs> and uh, going fishing and uh, watching sports if they ever come back from yeah. COVID. Um, you know, uh, the, so, so the other thing and the, you know, as you kind of move along in life, you know, like I, 10 years ago, I had grand visions for what my professional life was going to be today. Uh, I still have ambition. I still have, I'm still open, but you know, like I, I, I just think, um, it's now, it's not as important as just being around and, and being present and, uh, and that matters. Uh, right. so Amen. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Because those things do change over time, as you said. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of kind of getting to a certain point where you're like, all right, now I think I found what I'm looking for. And uh, yeah. once you kind of find what you're looking for, you're willing to stake your claim in that. And then you're willing to say, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. And when you know that, that's a, that's a real gift. Clarity, clarity is a gift. Um, because then when you know what you're supposed to be doing, then you, then you reassess everything around that. You know, it's, it's like when you find the one similar with, with marriage, like, like now that I'm, I mean, I've been married for a while now, but when you, when you, when you find the person that you're supposed to marry, it's like, okay, like all the other doors closed. There's yep. no, there's no, there, I'm not looking anymore. There's no more glancing around about who I would date or whatever. Like when you make the decision to say, this is the job I'm, I'm going to do. This is the person I'm going to marry. These are the things I'm going to, I'm going to commit my life to. You're closing the doors and all the other things. Which I think that process is part of the difficulty with with millennials. Again, you know, a lot has been said about them. So I, I, and there's a lot of great good that's coming out of the millennial generation for sure. But just it, things that I see that are on the rise. So the, the concept of FOMO, um, you know, is 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 that as well. That there's there's always and some of that's a product of just having so many options. You know, I think the previous generations just didn't have as many options on the table when it came to career or access to all the different careers. I mean, it just there's so many options and right. it just becomes overwhelming at times. Um, and that's just a product of where we are as a society thanks to, to, you know, the internet and, and access to all this different information. But going back to the, the Gallup study here, Kevin, one of the other things that it said is that uh, 29%, only 29% of millennials are engaged at work and 55% are not engaged at all. I mean, you think of 29%, that's 30, that's like only three out of 10 Millennials are actively engaged at work to to make their work a better place, and fifty five percent are just not engaged at all. Um, right. You know, when you think of that as a principal, I'm sure you have millennials and your staff, uh, uh, people that you've hired of this this cohort. What does it take to keep people engaged at work? Um, what what allows them to be able to keep their eyes focused on the task at hand and to not just be drifting? Uh, and always looking and not just always looking for, for whatever the, the next step might be. Yeah, it's a good, good question. You know, <clears throat> I have also done a lot of research on, um, retention, <laughs> uh, and how do you keep people, which is related to, you know, what you're talking about, That's obviously. Right. And, 
You know, like what I keep saying over and over and over again is it comes down to relationships. Uh, like you got to know people and they got to know that you know them. And if you're a, a, at least in my role, if I spend m- most of my time in my office, I don't know anybody. Uh, you know what I mean? So I, I force myself to get out of my office and to go and meet people and talk to people. I go to their classrooms. I find out what they're doing in life, what's going on, and I engage them uh, in that conversation. And uh, the other thing I do is I ask them their opinion about stuff. You know, sometimes millennials or younger people, you know, uh, they're naive or they don't know anything. Well, that, that's not true. I don't think that's uh, They true know at all. a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they, they know a lot. And um, they're closer to the age of our high school kids than, <laughs> than I am. You know, so... <laughs> They actually know more than me in many respects. And so, so I think for, for me and for our school, you have to be in relationship with, uh, with, with people who are on the front line with you and who are working. And so, um, I, and I know that, I know that's true because I know it's true with me. You know, I mean, like I when I'm in relationship with people, it's it's just more enjoyable uh, when the, the people here who just keep to themselves and um, don't take any interest in the school. There's a it's just awkward, you know, and uh, and not 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 good. So so I think, you know, the big key is is to engage people, is to be in relationship with them, to invite them, to be invitational, to um, you know, uh, to be part of the family. And so, um, I just think that's really important. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And it, all the studies show that in terms of just what makes a good leader and I know your, your degrees in in leadership. So you probably know, I'm sure you certainly know more about this than I do, but the concept of emotional intelligence and, and and are leaders who are more attentive to, uh, the emotional kind of, um, environment of their workplace create just a better, a better space where, as you said, and it's the basic stuff. Are you attentive? Are you listening? Are you engaged with them? Are are you showing that their opinion matters with decisions? It doesn't mean that what they say is ultimately going to be making that you're going to make the decision based on what they say, but that you're willing to listen to to what they're saying, that you're allowing that input to, to display into, um, into some of the, uh, the decisions that are made at the school. Um, are there any examples of that that you've had in terms of tough decisions recently within the school that, that you've solicited some feedback that's helped you in some way or the other to with the final outcome? Uh, I feel like I we're doing that all the time. Uh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of a norm to be honest. Um, you know, to be collaborative, to be um, and you know, empathy. Th- these are th- these are leadership traits that I've just that. I've just embraced and, and work, but I'm trying to think of a simple example, um, where we've engaged. We have, um, I actually started uh, a couple years ago, uh, you know, faculty were feeling like they wanted a voice in decision-making and, you know, sometimes I always say to myself, everyone wants a voice, but no one wants the responsibility. Right. So I get frustrated sometimes with that, but you know what I said, okay, no, fair, you know, fair enough. Um, everyone has a role. And, uh, and so we created this advisory council where it's just faculty. There's a faculty person from every department that sits on the, 
advisory council and they they have a chairperson and they get together and they, they talk about concerns that they have. And it sounds like a union and I don't like using that word because uh, it's not a union, but it's a, uh, it, it, it functions in a much healthier way in that it's, uh, it's, it's meant to be a partner in the education of young people here. And, you know, the bottom line is the kids spend much more time with teachers than they do with administrators. And so uh, teachers know something <laughs> and they have some input to give. So uh, there have been a lot of decisions that we've made that have come out of the advisory council um, because you know what, they just had really great points and it's not about, sometimes there's this tension between leaders and workers and that tension exists because of ego, not because of anything else. In my opinion, you know, yeah. like I think you can get rid of ego, the sky's the limit. You know I mean? If you're just there to do the work and to help kids and to glorify God, you know what I mean? Like that's. That's what's going to happen. And so I don't ever get caught up in, well, that wasn't my idea or that wasn't my decision. It was, you know, hey, if it's a good decision, it's a good decision. I don't care who had the idea. Mm -hmm. um, and so. Praise God. Yeah. So. All right. So let's think and then like if somebody is in an opportunity where they're starting an opportunity, but it doesn't quite work out or, or, or maybe they need a rather, let me think of it this way. Like you. How do you know when it's time to let something go? Let me let, let me ask the question that way. So l let's say, for example, hypothetically, that you're a rich billionaire who happens to own a franchise in New York uh, of a basketball team um, that that I know you fancy. <laughs> and uh, let's just say that the team over the last <laughs> two decades has just been atrocious. You know, like <laughs> hypothetically speaking, and we'll we'll say hypothetically the team's called the Knicks, also just for the sake of it. You know. <laughs> So I'm a Bulls fan. Just everybody knows Kevin's a, my, my team's not doing much better the last 20 years either. So I can't, I can't chalk trash. <laughs> at, least we, at least we made it to the Eastern Conference Finals one time in the last 20 years, but, but that's okay. But nevertheless, <laughs> but like, <laughs> let's say, let, 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 let's say, I mean, like, what, like, like Stanford Dolan will let it go. Right. I mean, like at some point you just got to say, come on, man, like the team stinks under your leadership. You talk about ego again, like at some point you got to say, sell the team. You know, like let somebody else come in with better decision making ability. Your track record clearly shows you don't know what you're doing. But right. you know, you're the rich billionaire who signs the checks. So I guess nobody can tell you what to do. I don't know. What what do you think? Yeah, well, you know, what do they say? The the root of all evil is the love of money. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um it's not money, it's the love of money, right? And so I mean if if it's a doggy dog type of relationship. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure what to say about that, but, um, you know, in, in my situation, like there've been plenty of times where I've said, you know what, um, I got to let this go. I got, I, I, I got to back away from this. Uh, and usually it, it, that comes to me because I know, I mean, I have pretty good self-awareness and I just know when I'm not doing well. And I, you know, a lot of bad decisions that I've made or a lot of bad spaces that I have found myself in, it's usually because I'm trying to do things myself uh, and not not including other voices or other people in the, in the conversation. And so sometimes I get forced into, you know, realizing that sometimes I realize it myself and I and I and that that's a healthier way to come to it. Um, but but, yeah, I, I, I think. 
if you have good self, I really value self-awareness. And if you have good self-awareness, um, it doesn't mean that you don't come to the realization that I got to let this go. It just means that you come to the realization that I got to let this go. And if you have good people in your life who can kind of help you, um, with whatever you're, you're trying to figure out, um, then that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've had some opportunities present themselves here recently that we really had to, to discern well. And I think what, what allowed me to be able to navigate that process of learning how to let things go or knowing what to let go, um, is really through experience where I, I didn't have that self-awareness or I didn't listen to myself. And then that, that decision ended up not working out as favorably as, as I thought. Um, so the, the, the best analogy that I've been able to come up with that kind of explains this in my life has been, you know, when you go shopping, you go to Macy's or department store, you're walking around and you see this jacket that's hanging, you know, on the rack and you're like, man, that's, that's a sharp looking jacket. You know, that, that sucker, that's beautiful. And so you walk over to the jacket and you put it on and you try it on and it doesn't just, it just doesn't quite fit right. You know, like you put it on and you're like, well, maybe a little tight in the chest. It's a little short in the pits, but you know, man, but it looks good. And then, and then you start playing the mind game where it's like, well, if I get it tailored a little bit here, or if I lose a little bit of weight here, then maybe in a few months it can kind of fit. Uh, and you're like, but man, it's just, it just doesn't, but it's a great jacket. And I really, I really want to get this thing. <clears throat> and then you look at the price and the price is like maybe 30 bucks more than you want to spend on it. You're like, but okay, well, so sometimes in the past I've bought the jacket and you, and, and then what happens when you buy the jacket? doesn't go anywhere. It's the, you try it on one time, you wear it to that one party and then you, you've ripped it or you're chafing something or whatever. And then it sits in the closet, you know, until you eventually get rid of it and donate it to Goodwill because it, it you never okay. lose the five pounds, you know, that you say you're going to lose or, or whatever other alterations you say you're going to do. Um, right. that that's the way I've, I've felt with some of these opportunities that have presented themselves recently in my life has been like, okay, like that's a good jacket, but, but it doesn't fit me right. It doesn't, right. it doesn't, it doesn't quite, you know, meet all the needs or, and sometimes you can't even explain it. You just kind of know that you just kind of know when it fits or it doesn't fit. But, yeah. And then you have to learn. You see your, your will is always engaged. You always, you always have the opportunity to make a decision. You can spend the money and buy the jacket. You could say yes to the job. God isn't going to come down and stop you from doing that. Right. But you can learn also from it and to say, all right, well, you know, I just, I just need to let this go. And as good of an opportunity as it is, as hard as it is, some opportunities you, you have to, you just have to let go of, um, and trust that, that then yeah. it's in the Lord's hands and, um, and the right things will present themselves as they, as they need to. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, and the, 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 in terms of knowing how to make those decisions, you know, like, I think one of the things I've learned is that there, first of all, there are no perfect situations. Every place has its issues. And so, you know, the cliche, the grass is greener. It's not greener anywhere. Every place I've been, and I've had those feelings where like, well, maybe if I go over here, I can, it'll be better over here. Every place has had its warts. Every place has its imperfections. Um, you know, like I think part of the challenge is just figuring out how do you work with imperfections, you know, and hope that people work with your imperfections, you know, <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes. That, 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 that's been a, a lesson I've learned later in life, you know, is that, you know what, like, it's not always everybody else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Stop it. What are you talking about? Kevin? Sometimes it's me. 
Yeah, you know, and and so you hopefully you have people in your life who can point that out to you and say, "Hey, listen, uh, you have you ever considered that you may be the problem?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's your perspective on things, and uh, and that's hard to hear. You know, it's it's hard to hear sometimes, and but I think uh, I think that's I think that's true. Yeah, I think that's it. Also. I find at least as I get older, whether it's, I mean, all decisions about whether purchasing a house or any major decision, there's, I don't know if it's just because I'm more aware of the imperfections than I used to be. Maybe when I was younger, I was like, oh no, it's great. Let's just do it. You know, I was a little more naive. And so I just saw everything as, as, as going to work out. But now a little bit older, it's like, man, every, everything doesn't work out. And that's not to be despairing or cynical. It's rather just to be realistic about saying, okay, if you're going to make a big decision, you got to weigh the various options. At the end of the day, like you got to make the decision that's best for you, even knowing that those options or those limitations are going to be present there. Um, whether it's a move and saying, okay, like let's say a job presents itself on the other side of the country. It's like, okay, well, do I want to take that job? Or, or is it more important for me to, to, to be with closer to family? Um, or, or not, or maybe it's maybe I take that job for a few years because it is going to be the right builder for my resume that I need to be able to then move to the next thing. There's there's nothing wrong with thinking of it in in those terms in terms of a strategy, uh, but just being open then to to the Lord walking you through all of those things. Um, but yes, like expecting perfection, expecting uh, utopia, expecting one job or or one situation to be the thing that's going to check everything off your list. I mean, that, that just ain't happening. I mean, I know that, I know that for Mario, sure. Did you see the movie, um, seven days in utopia? No. Uh, check it out. It's a pretty, it's a pretty corny movie, but it's, um, it's, it's pretty good actually. And it, um, the, the movie's about this, this golfer who, uh, you know, kind of spends his, early life really training and and he makes it to to the masters right and he's on the golf course and he's in a tournament and um and he failed like he struggles at this tournament at this tournament and um and a lot of pressure on him and he realized i mean he's young right he realizes oh my gosh like uh, what is it that I, who, who am I and what is it that I want to do? And so he goes and spends this, there's a place in Texas called Utopia, Texas, and he spends seven days there. And I think the, the, you can watch the movie, but the, but the bottom line is, uh, and it's a Christian based movie. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, the bottom line is, is that, um, you know, like you gotta, ha- like everyone's on this path of self-discovery, and, uh, and it's a, it, it's a lifelong journey. It's not something that you're ever going to get to and figure out and say, okay, there it is. I've, I've, I've realized it. And so, but to be open to that, to that journey and, and to, to the decision-making process, uh, in terms of careers, you know, I studied philosophy in college. Soren Kierkegaard was a existentialist, uh, and he wrote this book called fear and trembling. And, um, he talks about this idea of, uh, of a leap of faith, right? That everyone has to make the leap of faith. And you know what? <laughs> sometimes the, the leap is a good leap and sometimes it's not. And, and that's okay. Either way, you know, you thought it was going to go one way. It didn't go that way. Okay. You pivot, you go a different direction. And, 
Uh, and again, a- along a journey in life, you're going to change as well. And, you know, your journey is going to change. And so the decision making process will change and what factors weigh heavily will change, uh, you know, as you if you get married and you have kids and their health and well-being and their friends and their relationships, you know, uh, all those factors start are, are, are part of the equation as life changes. And so, you know, being open to all of that and not so stubborn, uh, I think can help. Amen. Amen. That's yeah. uh, hard. I mean, certainly change, change isn't easy. We all certainly want stability in life and want to have clarity about what we're supposed to do. And I think that at the end is obviously the point of this whole conversation is to help people to say, you know, we may not necessarily get the text message from God saying, do take this job, make this move. God isn't going to DM us on Instagram and say, Hey, this is what I want you to, what I want you to do. But that, and the reason he doesn't do that is because he wants his plan to unfold in our lives in a particular way. And so when it comes to career moves and decisions, recognizing that God does care about those things. God does care about our well-being. God does care about our happiness. God does care about our vocational fulfillment, not just in the religious sense, but in the occupational sense. Because he knows that those are the ways that we're going to shine the best. Like we're going to be better producers, better, better, better workers in the vineyard when we're happier. Uh, we're going to be better people when we find ourselves in jobs that do make us come alive. And so if, if you're, again, to the listener, if you're a young person who, who right now doesn't necessarily know what that is, that's okay. You just, just start somewhere and continue to explore. And, and then eventually you'll find where, where you're supposed to be. Um, similar to like, a, like when people are buying a house, sometimes you have to just look at 25, 30 different homes before you actually make the purchase on one. Because you need to walk into all these different homes to be able to say, well, I kind of like this. I, I don't like that. I kind of like this. I don't like that. So you can start building your list to eventually get to the one where you're like, all right, that's the one. We're going to make this decision. We're jumping in. We're, we're, we're doing it. Um, so anyways, just want to encourage everybody to say, keep going. Take the steps that you need to take. And, uh, and hopefully this episode has, has helped you, you know, to some degree. So Kevin and man, it's been, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show. Uh, if people have been, you know, uh, want to look for more information, wh- wh- where do you got, where, where can you point them, uh, to stuff that you have personally or, or other resources that you would recommend? Uh, geez, that's a good question. You know, go to your church, <laughs> <laughs> um, and pray about it. Uh, you know, uh, spiritual direction is, uh, a real value to people. And I know we, sometimes think about the spiritual life and spiritual direction, but some of the most practical uh, advice I've received has come, you know, from a spiritual director and not from a book or, um, or any show uh, that is, is trying to direct you in one way uh, or another. Uh, have a, have a confidant, have somebody that you can go to who, you know, will encourage you and will also challenge you to, um, to make good decisions, have courage, have, um, have, a, a willingness and a, a, and a, um, an openness to vulnerability and, uh, and be okay with making a bad decision. Uh, you, you, you talked about just, you know, buying a house and you go through this whole process to buy a house. And sometimes, you think, well, okay, I did a really great job and this is a really solid decision. 
And then you get in a house and you live there for six months and you realize what's wrong with the house, you know, and <laughs> you got to start repairing it. And, uh, and so you're like, darn it, how did I miss this? And, uh, in the, in the process, but you just do sometimes <laughs> it just happens. <laughs> so uh, there's, there's no book that, uh, the, 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 the book is just life and, and you just, you're in life. Um, there's a, there's a book called start with why it's by a guy by the name of Simon Sinek. Uh, and it's a, it's a great book. It's a, it's a really easy read. It's not, uh, you know, something you take to the beach with you. But if you want a book to just kind of, you know, start with why, why, why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, and check out that book. It, it's a good book. Awesome. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll put a link to that in the show notes to, to, to give people an option to, to check it out. So, uh, all right, Kevin, last question to ask all my first time guests, what gives you hope? My, my boys, uh, you know, my two boys and, uh, you know, I see in them, uh, man, great enthusiasm for life. And, uh, and so I, I see in them the hope for the future. You know, uh, we live in, in weird times right now, especially these last couple of months. Sure it's all, it's all pretty dark, but, um, if you're a person of faith, you know, I mean, it, this is not the darkest time that we've ever experienced in life. And, uh, and so I hope that we'll get through it. And, um, but I see the hope in my, my boys and some of the things they say, uh, and do and how they treat people. So, uh, that's where I see it. Amen. That's a beautiful yeah. way to see hope in our children, in the future, yeah. uh, in their eyes and in their, 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 uh, wonder and, uh, the, the potential for who, who they will be. So praise God, man. Well, thank you for joining me on the show. It's been a sincere pleasure. God bless. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. I am so grateful that you have given me your time and attention. It truly is a privilege and a gift. Please know that we are praying for you and your journey, that you may continue to find God in all your upcoming discernments. Discernment? Discernment. <laughs> If you're in, I don't know if I said that correctly. If you're interested in bringing Jason or myself to speak at your parish, diocese, or event, please visit us at faithinmarriage.org and click on the Ask Jason or Ask Dr. Mario tabs. I would love to be able to come to present on marriage, dating, parenting advice, or on how to live with hope. Visit us at faithinmarriage.org. That's faithinmarriage.org. Thanks, everybody. God bless and be good.